Okay, boys, are you ready? Yeah. Yes. Bedtime Story Adventure 2018 Chapter 9 Halfway through the pizza, James looked at his watch. Oh no, he said. It's nearly seven. My parents will be home and wondering where I am. You can borrow my burner phone to call them, Jenny said. I'm supposed to be at dance, so I don't have to be back till after eight. What will I say? Say you came to mine to do some homework, Jenny said. Or are there any clubs you could be at? I'll say I went into town to work on my project at the maker workshop, James said. I don't think they have a contact there to check. And I've been there enough that they know it's the sort of thing that I would do. Jenny fished the phone out of the top pocket of her bag. James made the call. To his surprise, his mum didn't seem to mind at all. He said he'd be back at eight. She said there would be some rice and curry left out for him. They finished the pizza, folded the box and stuffed it between a dozen bin bags stacked next to the churchyard gate and set off home. It wasn't raining anymore and the whole town smelled of damp rubbish. They cut back through the car park behind the dance studio. No sign of any rats. What did the king under the fort say about the rats, James said, flexing the fingers of his right hand. They were stiff and slow, but the throbbing had completely stopped. Nothing useful, just to ask the cormorants, Jenny said, and I don't know what that means. Where are we going to find a cormorant to ask? I'm not sure, James said, perhaps at the marina or down by the old west pier. There's always birds hanging around the old structure. They talked about what they should do next. James still needed the servo back, but had no way of finding the voice in the car. Jenny wanted to find Elf and find out what was going on with her. They reached the bottom corner of Preston Park and walked past a group of people huddled round their phones, furiously tapping the screens. Let's go to Elf's, James said. What? Jenny blurted. Last time you did that was when you got bitten by a deadly snake. I don't want to have to go back to the priestess any time soon. Not the front door, James smiled. Remember the first time we went there, through the driveway at the back. The snake can't be in two places at once. We can just have a quick look, in, then out, and if there's any sign of trouble, we'll leave. I don't know, Jenny said. It sounds risky. You want to speak to Elf, and we've got no other way of contacting her. Jenny reluctantly agreed, and they cut through to Preston Park Avenue, which ran parallel but behind Beaconsfield Villas. Halfway up was a driveway which ran between a house and an old block of flats and ended up at a garage that backed onto Elf's back garden. Everything looked clear at the entrance to the driveway. In this case, clear meant no strange animals, as the driveway was almost completely filled waist-high with rubbish bags. Someone had carved out a makeshift path through the middle, part by arranging the bags and part by laying wooden pallets down like giant stepping stones on top of them. They made their way up slowly, balancing on the wooden pallets and jumping between them, while cautiously looking around for anything that looked out of place. Whoever had made the path clearly hadn't had enough pallets, so sometimes the children had to balance carefully on double-stacked bags to get to the next one. When they reached the garage at the top of the drive, Jenny kept watch and James edged round the side and pushed through a bush to reach the gap in the fence that led to Elf's old garden. He paused and surveyed his surroundings. Nothing was moving in the garden, and more importantly, no lights were on in the house, not even the top window that used to be Elf's room, 
He turned to go back and tell Jenny, when his coat snagged on a branch in the bush and it snapped back against the garage with a small crack. Next came an ominous noise, the sound of wings beating hard as multiple birds took to the air. He couldn't see anything from the side of the garage, but Jenny confirmed the worst when he reappeared. Three pigeons just took off toward town, she said. We should hurry. It might just have been three birds disturbed by the noise, or it might not. The two children retraced their steps over the pallet and rubbished obstacle course as fast as they could, which was pretty slow going. At the end of the driveway, they turned right up the hill toward their homes. Once they were back on the pavement, they could walk more normally around the wet black bags. An engine revved loud behind them, and a black car overtook them and swung in hard to the next driveway up, blocking their route home. The driver's door opened, and the same big man that James had met the day before got quickly out and looked around and gave the roof of the car two firm taps with his hand. The back door opened, and from the dark interior of the car, a large grey wolf leapt out, staring right at James. "'Run!' James said, grabbing Jenny's hand and pulling her round. They set off back toward town, and an even stranger sight. From between the parked cars, a group of large rats, dressed in leather armour, appeared, and started toward them, scurrying fast over the plastic sacks. "'This way!' Jenny pulled James between two cars, and after a quick traffic check, they sprinted over the road and into the darkness of Preston Park. "'Clock tower,' James said. "'I've got the squiducking key!' As they ran through the trees, downhill to the old clock tower, James reached under his T-shirt and pulled the key over his head, ready to unlock the secret door to the Wellsbourne caverns. They cleared the trees, and James realised his mistake. The clock tower was still blocked off with high metal fences, they stood, panting in the dark, five metres from the secret door. "'We can lift them out,' James said. "'Help me!' He gripped the vertical pole where two fence panels met and heaved it up and almost got it out of the rectangular rubber block that held it in place. His right hand was still stiff and weak, and he was holding the squiducken key. "'Take the key!' He held it out behind for Jenny. She didn't take it. "'James,' she said quietly. "'We're too late.' He turned round, and coming out of the trees, in no particular hurry, was the voice. The Grey Wolf. Garor Ulf. I wonder, the voice of Garor Ulf called out, are you a ghost? No matter, you soon will be. The wolf sauntered toward them, confident and dangerous. Stop right there, a different voice called out from behind them a voice that James recognised. A few seconds later, a dozen soldier rats had squeezed out from under the fence that separated James and Jenny from the door in the clock tower. Some had axes out, some had daggers. The lead rat, the one that spoke, was the tallest, well over two feet tall, and its weapon was a long pike. Is that Zen? Jenny whispered. I think so, James whispered back. The rats formed two groups either side of Jenny and James, with the lead rat directly in front of them. James almost breathed a sigh of relief. Then he saw that some of the rat soldiers were pointing their weapons at the children. Out of my way, rats, Garor Ulf said. I'm here for the children. They keep sticking their noses in where they don't belong. Oh, they're terrible, these two. But I'm afraid you're in a spot of trouble with me. 
Lord Ratzenberg has no fight with me. And I have nothing to do with that old fool, the rat called Zen said. I'm a mercenary, and this is my squad, and we're being well paid to deal with you. Whatever you're being paid, I'll double it, Garor Ulf said confidently. I just want to speak to the children. The wolf looked past the large mercenary at James, and its eyes moved down to James's bad hand, which was still holding the Squiducken key. Boy, I think we can do a deal. Is that one of the bones of Kerberos you're holding? If so, bring it here, and we can part ways as friends. A ripple of chatter ran through the rats. Bone of Kerberos, said one of the nearest ones. What's that? Never heard of it, said another. But it sounds important. James held the key tightly. You seem to be forgetting something, Zen said. I'm in charge here, and I say whose bones get broken. Now, what did you say about tripling my pay? I didn't say triple, Garor Ulf began. I said, got it, squealed a rat behind James, yanking the lanyard attached to the Squiducken key. James yanked back and ordinarily would have easily held the key tight. But his right hand was still weak, and the key slipped through the fence into the hands of a gleeful-looking rat. It immediately ran to the secret door, opened it, and disappeared inside. "'No!' shouted Garor Ulf, and bounded towards the clock tower. Zen, who still hadn't been granted his pay rise, jabbed the blunt end of his pike hard between the wolf's back legs and tripped it over, Garor Ulf fell hard on the wet grass and writhed back onto its feet, snarling wildly at the rats that had now encircled him. "'Now's our chance. Let's go,' Jenny whispered, as the rats and the wolf engaged in a furious battle. James hesitated. He wanted the Squiducken key back. But this was the perfect time to escape. Jenny led them quickly away from the skirmish and back up to the road. She was almost at the road as James passed the last of the trees. Then he couldn't see her any more. Did she cross the road already? He didn't have time to work it out. A hand clamped hard round his mouth from behind. Don't say a word, a voice hissed quietly in his ear.